Hello again, Creeksiders, and specifically Creekside Gospel Community Leaders. I'm here with Pastor Nathan once again, and we are talking through what does it look like to have a healthy gospel community as we uh, relaunch this year and as we're looking for simplicity and coming back to the heart of what it's all about. Um, what we want to do in this episode is we want to talk through what's a job description for a gospel community leader. So we've touched on this in previous episodes, but here we want to be explicit and a little bit more memorable as we lay out what is it that we're looking for. So here we go. We're going to give you um, four items, okay? So this is two things that you cultivate and two things that you facilitate as a gospel community leader. So thinking of your job, thinking of what are we hoping that you will do, you're going to cultivate two things and you're going to facilitate two things. The two things you cultivate are the uh, you're going to cultivate spiritual growth, and that's in the people that you're working with. So you cultivate spiritual growth and you cultivate a culture of invitation. Those are two things. We'll explain them in a second. And the two things that we're asking you to facilitate are eating and blessing. Okay, so just real quick to throw it out there. Uh, two things you cultivate, two things you facilitate. We're asking you to cultivate the spiritual growth of people in your group and a culture of invitation. And we're asking you to facilitate eating and blessing. And all that goes hand in hand and works together. Um, but we'll take some time to kind of unpack each of them. And then hopefully the kind of uh, two things, um, two things and two things will be uh, something that you can kind of come back to, to reframe, am I doing what I'm called to here? So I'm going to ask you, Nathan, uh, when we first talk about cultivating, um, maybe even let me start here. What, what's, what would you see as the difference between cultivating and facilitating? Because there's two kinds of things. Mm. Yeah, cultivating is something we have to create. It makes me think of cultivating a garden. You have to get into the roots. You have to turn the soil. You have to invite seeds in. You have mm-hmm. to water it. You have to continually come back to grow it. Whereas facilitating, you're more of putting on something that's already taking place. Mm-hmm. You know, you come in and eating and blessing, you kind of are inviting people, one, into the cultivation process, but more also into the facilitating process because, I mean, although you are a host, you can facilitate other people making food and eating. You could facilitate uh, different ways of blessing. It's reaching out and trying to see different ways, but cultivating, it's really on your shoulders. You need to do the work to be invitational to people, and then from that invitation, it begins to create a place where you can cultivate spiritual growth. I love that. I think it's not quite the same as active and passive. I think I'm tempted to see it yeah. as that. But I do. there's a very much an active ownership side to the cultivate items, shepherding spiritual growth and, um, and, cult, and a culture of invitation. That, that is something, when you think of your job description, that is something I, that I think is going to be harder for you as a gospel community leader to delegate to somebody else. Mm. These are things that we're saying, if you are going to be the leader of your gospel community, we want you to play an active role, even if that's bringing others to do it actively along with you. Um, this is one we don't want you to delegate as much. Whereas the facilitate items, eating and blessing, exactly what Pastor Nathan said, um, it's not passive, but it is delegatable. And and I believe in most cases would be healthy to delegate at least some of that good. aspect. So let's let's go with the the active. Um, you're actively involved with this. You're going to cultivate these things. You're stewarding a process here, mm-hmm. um, and that is spiritual growth and its culture of invitation. So, um, what, what would you say as you think of yeah. a gospel community leader? What does it look like for them to cultivate spiritual growth in their group? Well, I think it's important to get back to the root of why we came up with these two. And in my opinion, cultivating 
an invitational environment is the starting point. It's birthed from this idea that you're creating a group where people are going to come and be a part of a family. And we want your neighbors to come to it. We want your coworkers to come to it. We want, you know, the entire community that you live in to come to this thing that they feel invited to, that they feel loved at, that they feel like they can be a family. Mm -hmm. And then from that, I believe as well, you know, we called you guys pastors, you get to know people and you get to know their needs and you get to understand, man, like, ah, Sally really needs some prayer. Like, can we just come alongside her and pray for her? And that's where the spiritual growth comes from. And I'm a Jesus guy. And I know we definitely love Jesus at this church. It literally says it on our wall that Jesus saves. And throughout the gospels, you see Jesus go to people and invite them into something. You see him call them to follow him. And then through following him, you see him teach them and pray for them and encourage them. And their spiritual growth becomes this huge thing. And then his disciples go and start churches later on. And don't know if that's going to be what happens with our gospel communities, but it's possible, right? But all of that started with an invitation, with yeah. Jesus walking up to sometimes random people mm-hmm. and saying, follow me. Yeah. Now, you don't have to say, follow me. You just got to say, hey, we're having dinner at our house. Would you like to come? Yeah, I great. feel like that's way more simple, but it is an invitation into something that can grow to something bigger. Yeah, I, that's beautiful. I think that the invitational aspect of that, um, inviting them into a deeper spiritual life, because I, I think that that's my life. My whole life is going to be um, I never will quite arrive until the day the Lord returns mm-hmm. at that place where I'm like, I am the full Jesus follower that Jesus wants me to be, but my whole life will be the pursuit of that, right? I'm That's closer good. and closer and closer to Jesus, wanting more and more and more of him, um, riding that roller coaster of, man, I feel so close to God. Oh, man, I feel so far from him. And so um, that that process is what we're asking you to keep your eye on. Now, I, as I say all this, and I, as we're listing these things out, I think that the idea of cultivating spiritual growth, I can picture in my mind the cynic who's listening to this and saying, um, okay, you literally just said in a previous episode that we're separating out gospel communities and discipleship <laughs> groups. So if we're pulling the discipleship element out of a gospel community, um, how is it my job to facilitate that? Do you want it in there or not? And I would just say, yes, we 100% want discipleship to happen in the context of gospel community, what, we, what we're saying is um, discipleship groups, I'm picturing as the kind of thing, um, we're defining as the kind of thing where you meet regularly to study a curricular type of a thing. Thank you, computer, for loudly letting me know that something's happening. Um, when, when we, um, so it's a curric- the discipleship group is a curricular type of a thing and it's a gathering around a curriculum and that's beautiful and good and a huge part of the discipleship process. What I'm calling you to as a gospel community leader you can have curriculum or not, but what makes it a gospel community is um, your meal-based gathering, and it's about that environment where you're in a meal-based gathering, and in that environment, we want you to mm-hmm. be the kind of shepherd pastor that is cultivating the spiritual growth of people. So that means you're going to think of the different people in your group. I think at, at any moment, as you get to know your group and everything, um, you should be able to do a pop quiz, and I could just say, okay, hey, here's the list of people that are in your group what would you give me as like a, a next step for any one of these people in terms of where could they where could they use some growth? Where could they use a nudge? 
And I would like that to be a goal is to say, yeah, I think I could probably come up with that for each person. And that doesn't mean necessarily that you then have to pull out a curriculum and guide them to that point. It might be, you know what? Um, John could use some growth in his Bible knowledge. I'm going to connect him to a men's Bible study. And that's a discipleship group that will get him to that point. That's really good. But you are there as the shepherd to cultivate that spiritual growth. And it might be as simple as I want to get together and pray with him. It might be as simple as you never say a word to him about it, but you're praying behind the scenes. So you're cultivating that growth in yourself because you can't lead where you're not willing to go yourself. Cultivating yourself, but also just calling people along gently, um, publicly and privately. And um, we're just keeping an eye on what that looks like and how it develops. Uh, That's really good. I'm reading a book right now called Searching for Enough. And in the second chapter, the author goes into this idea of what brings people to Christ, like what Mm -hmm. actually brings people to Christ. And he says, it's very, very rare for somebody to come to Christ based upon an argument Mm -hmm. or based upon apologetics or even like a Bible study. It's very rare. But 90% of the time people come to Christ because of a relationship. And so what we're talking about with this invitational thing is not that it's like, oh, no discipleship happens. No, discipleship is coming alongside somebody in a relationship and encouraging them towards Jesus. Yeah. Like that's discipleship. Yeah. And that takes place in every relationship we have, yeah. really. Yeah. I think that's great. And I think as you're talking, it comes clear to me to want to say um, with the new approach to gospel community, um, discipleship is still... Um, something we want, but you're less directly responsible for the hands-on work of creating that material and curriculum. I want us to work in partnership with the gospel, uh, the gospel communities and discipleship groups to work in partnership and not to have to feel if it's going to be done, I have to create it and lead it and et cetera. Okay. So there we go. I think we've said a lot there and I think that's going to help us to kind of think through what does that look like? So you're cultivating number one, spiritual growth in your group. Um, and then number two, you're cultivating a culture of invitation. So for you, Nathan, what does that look like, culture of invitation? Man, culture of invitation means, and I think we've said this in an earlier episode, actually we did for sure, being intentional and relational. Yeah. Like those two words for me are very key. They're things that uh, got me back to coming to church is just somebody being super relational and intentional with me and inviting me into things. And yeah. so as a gospel community leader, we would love for you guys to cultivate that type of environment where you see a neighbor and just invite them over. They, yeah. they might say no, and that's okay. You're cultivating an environment where it's okay to invite people. It's okay to hear no, but our goal is to ultimately be a place where people feel invited, where people feel they belong, where people feel like they're family, so that when we do go to the next section where we're talking about facilitating, people want to jump in. They want to eat with us. They want to bless their community because they feel so invited into your family. That's so good. As you're saying that, people want to be invited in, and I think the first thing that comes to my mind is we need to be doing the kinds of things ourselves that we actually want to invite people to. So I can't mm-hmm. tell you how many church things I've done that I would, you know, you're kind of, I'm there by obligation. Am I really going to be that enthusiastic about inviting someone into it? And so yeah. for me, it is saying, if your group feels too weird to invite another Creekside or two, or one of your neighbors or coworkers to, um, why? What, what makes it weird? Uh, what makes it feel weird? And what tweaks could you make to invite them? And if that means, okay, I honestly, it's the group, it's the family of 
Christians that is going to feel weird to them, um, okay, start with something else you can invite them to, and then let's work towards does it work to invite them further than that. Um, but I, so I think invitation, I think that um, we are saying, I think, I think one way to view this is by contrast. So for me, I have this contrast in my mind of um, a common church technique, which is um, sending out the mailers, okay, mm-hmm. for things. So I, I just recently read a Barna study, and I can't remember the numbers on it, but they did like a survey of like what do uh, younger Christians respond to well? Like what would make them want to come to church, those that have been outside of the church? And a very low percentage of these unchurched people said, oh, I respond well when I get a mailer from a church inviting me to that church. Um, so I think let's be careful not to think, how do people learn about Creekside or whatever? Oh, let's do a, a marketing thing where we mail something to them and do that kind of passive invite. However, I think at the same time, um, we have often used the same strategy in the church. So we send out mailers to people in our communities. Then we send out mailers in a sense, flyers, whatever, in the church building to our church family. And it has the same feel. It's impersonal. It's um, a little bit passive. Hey, if you'd like to join a group, sign up and we'll get you connected. Now, a lot of you have joined groups through that means, and that's not a bad thing. But what we're saying is culture of invitation, think of it in contrast to that. Rather than come find us, let us know, or we'll send something out passive, you be the invitation that people get. And so mm-hmm. uh, rather than something showing up in your neighbor's mailbox, what if you show up you know, in your front yard, in your backyard, um, in their front yard, backyard? That sounds creepy, and I'm definitely not advocating <laughs> you showing up in your neighbor's yard now. All I'm saying is, as we cultivate relationships, um, then the, the culture of invitation looks like um, the, the ease with which we can say, hey, I'm, I'm doing something with some church friends. Would you want to come out? Well, all we're doing is eating. We'd love to have you. Um, yeah. Or uh, same thing with church people. You, you meet somebody in the lobby. And honestly, sometimes it's like intentionally find someone that you don't know at church. I mean, I, that would be a phenomenal practice, especially for gospel community leaders, but for all of us to look around and just say, ah, I've never met that family um, I'm just going to go say hi. Ask them how long they've been at Creekside. You, mm-hmm. you will likely find that that person doesn't have as many connections as you assume that they might. They might be brand spanking new, and um, likely they're not connected to a group. And so making that invite, like, hey, would you like That's to good. join our group? We're meeting, you know, this week on Friday night, and um, you know, it's low commitment, just showing up for dinner, and I can introduce you to some really great people. Mm-hmm. So I love, I love that thought process of. Your group becomes something, what you cultivate is a is the type of gathering and the type of culture where we're all looking outside and saying, who, good. who belongs? Who could be here? Yeah, and like Mark said, you know, you have to know your group yes. well, but you also need to know your neighborhood. Yeah, that's good. Like, know who you're inviting into it. Um, I went through a program called Forge, and the goal of that was to make yourself a disciple in your neighborhood. That's great. And we all have coaches, and my coach learned on his block that there were just a bunch of young people, mm-hmm. like uh, early 20s, late 20s, some married, some not married, and he had kids. And so he was like, man, how do I get to know everybody on my block, and how do I invite them into something even though they don't have kids? Yeah. And so what he decided was, well, if I host something at my house on the front porch, mm-hmm. people will come to it while my kids play in the backyard. There you go. And so what he did was he got beers and wine, and he just told his neighbors, hey, if you would like a free drink, 
yeah. come on over to my front porch. That'll do it. And people showed up. Yeah. It was just an amazing thing, and they continued it. Cool. It was like an every Friday event, and people looked forward to it. I mean, I went to one, and it was like, oh, man, you've been coming to this for how long? Yeah. And you know this person, and wow, this is amazing. And so you have to know your neighborhood and know what's important to them yeah. and then create a space where they can come to an event. It's great. I love that. And I, so I think the same thing applies in both settings. And I think often, so what I found with my group is often uh, the ways I try to bless, invite my neighbors and the ways I try to bless and invite Creeksiders overlap. They're not always exactly the same. So there's times we'll do something mm-hmm. just with my Creekside friends. It makes sense where you have a lot in common spiritually. Um, sometimes I'll do some things with my neighbors that I won't do with my gospel community. Um, that sounds weird. It's not weird. Just like that, what, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> um I, I'm, I, you know, plead the fifth on that. So uh, there, there's probably nothing that I would not do there. But sometimes the friend circles don't overlap quite as much initially. And so it's just kind of living in both spaces. And then I think a lot of my goal as a human and just as a church person is, can I, can I make these two spheres overlap? Um, not without forcing it, without being weird, mm-hmm. without viewing people as projects and all that kind of stuff. That's okay. good. So let's tie that off. That's the cultivating aspect. So these are the, the active role you have is you're looking at the people in your group and you're thinking, okay... Spiritual growth, how do I develop that in these people? Just how are the spirit leads? How are the spirit run power? Gently, spirit-led, cultivating spiritual growth, and then cultivating that culture of invitation where you yourself lead by example in inviting people in, but also these are the kinds of conversations you can have with your group over a meal. It's not weird. You don't have to give a speech, but just like, hey, um, who, who do you guys know that you would like to invite to this? Um, could you join me in praying that God would bring a couple people to your mind that you could invite to these types of gatherings. Um, that's good. And so that's what we cultivate. Okay, let's switch to the facilitation. So now again, we're saying this is not passive, but we're saying this is delegatable. What mm-hmm. we want you to do is to keep your eye on the ball, to facilitate, to make sure that both eating and blessing are happening in your group. Mm-hmm. And I'll say for those of you that have been gospel community leaders with us in the past, that um, blessing side we've talked about, but we haven't been as uh, proactive about, and I'd like to see that step up this year. So. Let's first start though with the eating. So Nathan, what is uh, like, why would eating make it to a list of four things that we should do? Yeah. The first time I came to Creekside, um, well, I guess actually the second, first time I just ran to the bathroom, but the second (laughs) uh, sat down at a table to get to know people. And it's amazing what happens when you sit at a table to get to know people Mm -hmm. and you're eating food. Yeah. It's just this powerful thing. You get to know people, you get to know about their lives, but you also get to enjoy something together. And so for us at Creekside, we want to bring people to a table and not just like an awkward thing where we're sitting there not doing anything, but eating and enjoying each other's company. And you see Jesus do this throughout the gospels. I mean, he sat and ate with sinners and different people. And it's just a beautiful thing because that's how people wanted to follow Jesus. I love it. Is because he would sit with them and eat a meal with them and just talk to them. You know, and that's what we want to do with facilitating eating is a literal meal or snacks, whatever time you're meeting, or maybe just a cup of coffee, you know, like dessert, drinks, and sit and enjoy it. What I I love about it is uh, uh, food, meals, is such a cultural thing. And it's, it's very much a part of our culture. I would say you look at 
Rockland, Roseville, Loomis, Lincoln. Like it's very much part of our local culture. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's just something, it's a human thing. It's something we all mm-hmm. do. So, so number one, I think that this, us living as a community, so often the church goes extracurricular with everything. And so it's, um, mm-hmm. in your spare time, devote this time to us. And I think this gathering around meals is a way of saying, not in your spare time, in your normal daily That's life good. rhythms, um, this becomes an element. So you're not giving extra time, you're devoting time you already would be spending eating, and you're just choosing to use that meal time with other people. So there's That's so much here. Good. I think there's also uh, the reality that when you sit down around a table, there's, there's a um, equality to that. Um, nobody's given a speech, nobody's the leader, nobody's the follower, right? There's a host and, and guests, of course, but um, you're just sitting there as humans, um, and it's, it's relatively agenda-free. You know, mm-hmm. you're just sitting there enjoying, talking. It's uh, disarming. Um, it's, it's a way to be a blessing to somebody, to care for them, to, to lighten their load a little bit, um, recharge them. And so, I, yeah, I love the feeling of a mealtime as a place where something kind of magical happens. I think even in terms That's of my good. family. Um, so how many of our families, you know, you lament... Uh, I've heard I've heard it so many times, and my girls are a little young for this yet. But um, the kids, everyone's in different directions, and we can't even get together for a family meal, right? Or you end up eating that meal in front of the TV, and it happens too many times. It's very convenient, right? But you think, well, we haven't been connecting with each other, and we all kind of mm-hmm. know that family dinner is a way to have a regular check-in point with each other. Um, and so for me, the meal becomes so non-threatening, um, so rhythmic in terms of what we already do. And just a cultural way to open up a, the, an avenue for intimacy that people at their pace can choose how deep to go, how much to share, um, or you can just kind of kind of be there with each other. And all of that stuff matters a lot. That's really good. So that becomes a tool then for our cultivation of other people. Um, we, we can cultivate spiritual growth and the invitational culture in that context of eating. So that's why I say facilitate eating. So now some of you are gospel community leaders where you, you're like your house, you love your house, you love the way it's set up to host, and we couldn't like convince you not to host something. That's phenomenal. Do it as much as you can. Um, others of you are, I, I, we have a few leaders that are like, I love, um, like lead, I'm willing to lead. I love leading. I have gifts to do that. But mm-hmm. my, my home is tiny or whatever. I would always push back and say, you can fit way more than you think you can. And sometimes yeah. that tight-knit feel has its own energy and excitement. Um, but at the same time, I think throwing it out there and saying, you guys are a group together. And so you facilitating eating means um, that you can partner with the people in your group to rotate who's hosting, That's where good. you're gathering, um, whether you go to a restaurant or at somebody's house. Um, there's all kinds of options. I think we're just trying to think as literally as we can about the table in a meal and saying, you need to facilitate eating. That's, that's kind of your goal. Our, the target we've set twice a month, you're doing a meal based gathering with your whole group. Um, I would love anyone that wants to do more than that. Go for it. That's phenomenal. Um, that's hard for a lot of people's pacing in life, but if that works for your group, do it. There's also a lot of meals that can happen outside of the whole group gathering. So maybe it's lunches that you grab with people, coffee, um, you know, sipping on some hot cocoa later at night, whatever it is, um, you can do all that kind of stuff. That's really good. Okay, so we're facilitating then uh, eating, and the other thing we're facilitating is blessing. And Mark, you have a really good perspective on this, so why don't you answer it first? So we, we've been wrestling with this, and um, 
what, what I don't want is for this to feel like a burden to the groups, okay? But what, I, what I'm finding is, as over the last few years, we've been doing gospel communities, and um, some groups have been very intuitive about this, um, and I think I'd like to share some of like their experience with it. So what we'll do is we'll have, what we want you to do is look at, think of the people around you, think of your context, and that's, some of you, your context is as simple as like all of our, our gospel community, all of our kids are in this one or these two schools or something, right? Others of you, it's like, oh, we drive from, Auburn and Roseville and Granite Bay and we meet in a place. So it's a little broader than that. But think your context and think, what are the people that we overlap with or that we have a heart for that God's provided us a connection to and how can we be a blessing to them? And I think hearing that that doesn't mean uh, who can I convert, you know, or who can I do a sales pitch evangelistic spiel to, but who can I bless? Whose load can I lighten? Who can I show that they matter? Um, Who can I find some way to help them on their way? So um, so then, as you think of that, I think you could think of this as regular service opportunities, okay? So um, we've had groups do all kinds of things. We've had groups partner with World Relief, which is an organization that helps to, works with the U.S. government to help settle refugees in the Sacramento area. So all that's already happening, government's bringing them in, World Relief comes and says, how do we help them become great citizens in our local area? And World Relief partners with churches, including some people in Creekside, some gospel communities in Creekside, to be what they call a good neighbor team. And so it's saying, hey, we're going to take a local family that's being placed, and what our group's blessing to the neighborhood is going to be is we're going to um, help drive them to doctor's appointments, help them get their kids registered for school, drive them to English classes, whatever Mm. it is. Um, And I think that's beautiful. We've had other gospel communities that have partnered with a local school, then maybe they have a connection with the principal or something, and they're finding out about needs in the school, and they band together to help that um, that group. Um, there's all kinds of things this could look like. Um, and here, here's my Russell. So there's been, um, we've talked a lot as the staff and as the elders of, like years past, Creekside would do, like, hey, we're going to grab the whole church, and we're going to pick one school, and we're going to go paint that thing. We're going to put wood chips in there, you know, we're going to do this whole big blessing. I think that's beautiful, and I think it's a legacy in Creekside that we can be proud of. Um, But as we think of what we're trying to do with gospel communities, one downside of that approach is that blesses a principal, maybe a few teachers. The parents and the um, community around the school doesn't tend to know who did it or why they did it. So it all matters. Blessing somebody matters, regardless of, certainly not about claiming credit. What I want it to be about is an ongoing relationship for the sake of further blessing. And so what I like the idea of is, let's just say, hypothetically, a gospel community says, hey, my, my, you know, our kids or a few of our kids in this group, um, we have this connection to a school locally. And, and so you do what it takes to befriend that school. What does it mean? Do you have a relationship with the principal? Build amongst your group that relationship with the principal. Um, are there families that you know that you can bless there? Bless those families. But then as your group has that relationship with that school, think of are there big opportunities that Creekside Church as a whole larger family can be a part of blessing. And if you arrive at those opportunities, that's when you, you know, talk to Nathan or myself and we say, hey, we've got an opportunity. Our group has this relationship. Could we rally the whole church to come in, step in and say, hey, we like we are a small family. Our gospel community is a small family. We live together and we do small family things in our neighborhood. But also we're part of a big family, which is Creekside Church as a whole. How can we leverage that big family to invest in the relationships of the little family. And so that might look like an ongoing relationship where you're 
writing notes of encouragement, giving gift cards to the teachers in the school because it's been hard years and all that kind of stuff. But then also you reach out to our bigger church family and you say, hey, that this school needs a whole lot of paper. It's beyond the resources that mm-hmm. our um, gospel community can do. Can we all join together? And we as a large church rally together and say, hey, we're all doing this. We're in. We'll get you all the paper you need. Or we'll come paint that school if that's what helps. That's good. And then knowing that there still is that group on the ground doing it. Now, that's my example that I'm using. But what I would love is for this to be as uh, diverse and creative as each individual group and what relationships, connections you have. If you can't think of anything at all, it is totally fine. But I would ask you to start praying about it. And, mm-hmm. and, and not just you yourself, but pitch it to your group and say, hey, we want to find an avenue for blessing, uh, an avenue for service, and just prayerfully say, okay, Lord, would you bring to us some opportunity to bless and serve the people around us? And do that as your group. But then, like I said, reach out and we can get the whole family to rally around you guys. Um, and I, I just think that's a beautiful approach to the whole thing. That's really good. The church I grew up going to actually did something very similar to that. Um where people would bring needs of other people either in the church or in the community around us and just say like, Hey, does anybody have a chainsaw? This lady needs a tree cut down. Can we come do yard work for her? Her husband passed away and she's a widow and she, she really needs some help right now. And then the church would just come together and show up at this lady's house. And of course she would like break down in tears, but then seeing the work that the church did for her, just Brian her day, but then, she is now invitational to everybody in her neighborhood because she yeah. goes around and says, see what my church did. Yeah. See what happened here. And that's not what it's about. We're not saying mm-hmm. like, let's do blessings to get the glory. Yeah. No, like all glory to God. But yeah. when you truly bless a community, they want to know why. That's they right. want to know, well, why are you doing this? Oh, because you go to a church? Well, what is that about? Yeah. And then you have an avenue to tell them about Jesus. I love that. I think it is about notoriety, credit, whatever, but not for us, just like you said, all glory to God, right? And so it is saying, why? Why would we ever join together, band together, and do something sacrificial with our free time or whatever? It's because Jesus has done that for us, and it changes us, and we want to bless and serve on his behalf. And so mm-hmm. it just gives us that opportunity to point um, people to him. And I, I love that. I can think of several people in our church family right now that are mowing the lawn of neighbors who have That's lost good. a husband and they're on the older side of things. Um, they're doing car maintenance. They're doing, you know, some little home maintenance projects. I can imagine we have groups out there that have that know if somebody has those needs, but within their little gospel community group, they don't have a skilled drywall person or something. But I mm-hmm. promise you, we have those people in our church family, right? And so when your group's little family resources can be the relational connection, but then you can tap into the resources that a larger church body offers, man, that is a group that becomes a blessing in an area. That's and good. and I think, you know, if, if Creekside was a community church, you know, like we were like literally, you know, if we weren't in this industrial complex where our church building is and we literally just all lived in whatever in the same neighborhood, we would be that type of sharing thing. We're kind of a regional church. We're in this like uh, true. this business industrial park here, and we live all over. We live Loomis, Lincoln, Rock, Rockland, Roseville, Granite Bay, um, Antelope. We're kind of all over the place. Um, but there, there's no reason we can't function like a community church yep. because we all have these little footprints 
and we're gathered together in these little gospel communities, but we, we, all we have to do is say the word and call each other in. And so we, so Nathan and I, we're, we're working with the elders. We're trying to think through how do we, um, better organize and let the church know about the needs. But that, that's our goal is we want to be able to do that. And I would love for these opportunities to bless, to, you know, generate from the gospel communities. There's a, um, a friend of mine and a um, great church leader. Um, his name is Mike Gerald. And he, uh, he runs like a network of kind of unconventional churches. They're, they're kind of micro churches and, and all kinds of things. And he's trying to help people think about church differently. And he says what he's found is there's two things that unchurched people will do with church people. And those two things are eat and serve. Hmm. And so you, you're, you're, it's harder and harder all the time to kind of get someone, hey, do you want to come to church with me? I think that people have a sense of like, church is probably not something I want to attend just casually, you know, yeah. um, until they see a compelling reason to. But if you invite someone to eat with you, or if you invite someone to serve alongside of you, um, there's a lot of unchurched people that are like, yeah, that's I'm about good. both of those things. That's great. And so for me, that becomes then, um, that's, that's why both of those items for me make that list of four. So let's recap. We're doing where your job as a gospel community leader, should you choose to accept, is there's two things you cultivate and two things you facilitate. The two things you cultivate are shepherding uh, spiritual growth. So you're cultivating spiritual growth and you're cultivating an invitational culture. Two things you're facilitating are eating and blessing. And uh, now, are you going to do all those things perfectly or equally? Of course not. We're human and we're here, but Nathan and I are here to coach. We're here Mm -hmm. to work with. We're here to help you get unstuck. Um, We're here to answer questions, complaints, frustrations, any of it. Um, but, But this becomes now a little bit of a framework for us to think through. Okay, what is your job? What do we want you to do on an ongoing basis? Um, you can explain that to your group. You don't even have to. Um, it's just trying to keep an eye on these four elements. And, uh, and man, I'm excited to see what God will do with that. At this, these gospel communities functioning like this, I am really excited about knowing that alongside of it is going to be these discipleship groups where people are for a period of time in a sort of curricular way, deepening their discipleship, um, their knowledge of God, their, um, their skills and, and, um, competencies in prayer and in reading the Bible and in um, their marriages and all these things, having that depth in the discipleship groups and then having this sort of um, living life together in the gospel communities, I think that those two things going hand in hand is going to be a thing that makes our church um, not just a deep discipleship kind of a place, which I absolutely want to be, but also a community impact kind of a place. Um, and I, I, I love that. I want to spend my life uh, living together with people, sharing meals, watching our kids grow up. Um, it's hard to imagine that happening in the context of a never-ending Bible study where, like, you know, I just imagine for the next 20 years we're doing a Bible study that just keeps going and going and going. Though I guess that would be amazing and I'm, you know, we all should be digging into our Bibles. But I think those, those curricular discipleship groups are places where we grow seasonally and, and increasingly and all that kind of stuff. But the gospel community is a place we can invest in each other's lives for years and years and years and partner for the sake of something deeper. And I'm excited about it. Love it. <laughs> so do I. <laughs> I'm sure all of you do too. So, all right. So that's where we're going to leave it for right now. Uh, Pastor Nathan is probably going to go um, help his <laughs> wife have a baby here pretty soon. <laughs> we're recording this uh, oh my on Heidi's due date and uh, baby's not here yet, but his life is no. about to change and you can hear the naivete in his voice, can't you? <laughs> It's about to be crazy. Yeah. (laughs) So anyway, um, 
I'm excited to probably, you know, I'm sure by the time you're listening to this, the baby will be here and we'll be in this new season, but I'm excited to launch this. Um, we are praying for you guys every step of the way mm-hmm. and we're excited to talk more and just to see what God does through all this. So thank you guys truly for what you're doing. Uh, it is a privilege to partner with you all. We love you. Talk to you soon.